Romans chapter 11. Romans, the 11th chapter. And just two verses, uh, verse 33 and 34. Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the Lord? Sorry, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Out. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we bow in your presence. We come before you now to read and to understand your word. We pray that your word today will speak into our hearts, that we'll be encouraged and strengthened for the days and the road ahead. Lord, we be challenged and be encouraged, Lord, to trust you and believe in you and know, Lord, that you are with us every single step of the way. There's not a moment, Lord, not a second whenever we are out of your mind. And so we bless you and we give you thanks for this in Christ's name. Yeah. Amen. Amen. One of the things I find invaluable as a believer is the overreaching, the all-encompassing, the highly personal and individual way that Almighty God plans and purposes for my life. Amen. Did you ever stop and think, how did I arrive at this place in time at this point in time. What were the circumstances that brought me from where I was to where I am right now? For example, why this job? Why this career? Uh, why this ministry? Why this church? Why, why, why? And all these things in my life and all the events looking back, why did that happen to me? Why not somebody else? Why not somewhere else? Why not something else? Was it all chance? Was it happenstance? Was it kismet? Was it the luck of the draw? Was it the roll of the dice? Was it the rub of the green? Or was God at work in my life? Was it providential rather than accidental? Was it the Father rather than fate? Was it His choosing rather than just sheer chance? As a believer, I believe it was God at work in my life. Hallelujah. Looking back in my past, I can see the hand of God in different steps. I didn't see it then, but I see it now, the hand of God in my life. And I would encourage you today, and you watching today, I would encourage you to believe that God is working in your life. Behind the scenes, even though we may not understand it or see it or feel it, but behind the scenes of our life, he is working. Look at the series of unusual and seemingly unfortunate events that led Joseph to eventually understand that even though his brothers meant what they did to him for evil, that actually God meant it for good, that God was in it. Look at the painful journey that Jacob made. 20 years away from his home, 20 years away from the, the mother that he dearly loved. Uh, and it took all of those 20 years and all of the events in his lives through those 20 years to bring him to the place where, where Jacob, the manipulator, the cheat, became Israel, a prince with God. It took all of that time and all of those events. God was in it all. Look at Saul. He goes out looking one day for his father's lost asses and he comes back a king. 
Who would have thought it? Certainly not him. Look at David. David goes out and takes his brother's lunches to the battlefield and he comes back with Goliath's head in his hand. A slave, a Hebrew slave, gives birth to a little boy who's adopted into the royal family of Egypt and he becomes a mighty deliverer and a great lawgiver. You see, God was in it. Daniel, even though he was a captive in Babylon, but he became a confidant to several kings. Fishermen out washing their nets. Then they become the great mighty apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I mean when I would say about the providence and the sovereignty of God. God's unerring, unseen hand guiding and directing and leading and pointing the way, even though we may not see it at the time, but behind the scenes, God is doing it. Not that I or, or anyone else can fully understand the ways of God. That's why I read that scripture. Paul says the ways of God are past finding out. Yes, we understood by experience now, looking back, we've understood a lot of God's ways, but we don't understand all of God's ways. That's why we have to trust him and believe him and believe his promises and believe his word because when we don't feel it and we don't see it, he's still working on our behalf. It's a bit like gravity. Gravity is much easier experience than it is explained, isn't it? I mean, we know somewhat of gravity, but I mean, all the brilliant minds in the world does not fully understand, even to this day, what exactly gravity is. We know some of the things that it does. If we didn't understand, we didn't know, if we didn't have gravity, we'd be flying off all over this room, wouldn't we? But we've experienced it. However, the longer you walk with Christ, the more you become aware of his hand in your life, his overruling providences, his predetermined plans that he's molding and shaping and making it life for us. Now, what does all this do for us? What confidence, what strength, what assurance what comfort does it provide in our lives? Well, first of all, it shows us that God already knows our future. There's a massive industry out there in predicting the future because as human beings, we all have an innate desire to understand something of our future. We want to know our tomorrows. And there's a whole industry built on that. Of course, it's fraudulent, but Every one of us, even believers, we all want to know our future. The word turns to astrology, it turns to fortune tellers, to psychics, even presidents and kings and queens have all had their prognosticators. But believers, we don't believe in that, but yet we want to know our future. We want to know what our tomorrow's is going to be. So that's why we pray, we seek the Lord, we spend some time in his word, and even above that, Sometimes we say, God, show me. You know, give me a, a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, a prophecy, a dream, a vision. Show me something about my tomorrows, about my future. And God is gracious, and sometimes he does that. Sometimes he gives us those encouragements along the way. But if he did none of those things, we still have the confidence and the understanding that God is still at work in our lives. Even if we don't see it and we don't feel it and we don't know it, God is working behind the scenes. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you that hope in the future. Not bad plans, but good plans for our future. In Hebrews chapter 11, 
It tells us about Abraham in verse 8 of Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He went out not knowing where he was going, but he knew that God knew where he was going. And he knew that God would get him where he needed to be. And sometimes we go out not knowing where we're going, but if we know that God knows where we're going, he will get us to where we need to be. And so it shows us that God already knows our future. I truly believe that God knows every detail of my life and your life and his plans and his providence and his purposes will be fulfilled. They will be fulfilled as long as I keep walking with him and keep trusting him and believing him and looking to him, his plans will be fulfilled. It shows us that God plans our future. Right now, God actively, deliberately, consciously is building a future for you. God has got a diary. Your name's on it. And he's got appointments in that diary for you to keep. Every single day, God has got something in his diary for you to keep. And if we keep walking with him, we will fulfill those divine appointments. It was not by accident that Ruth returned with Naomi. Ten years prior to that, Naomi, her husband, Elimelech, her two sons, Malon and Kilion, there was no harvest in Judah. There was a famine. And so they moved to Moab as a family to get some food. And while they were there, that Malon and Kilion, their two sons, they married two women of Moab, Ruth and Orpah. And then Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died. And so she was a widow. But then her two sons died. And so Ruth and Orpah became widows also. And then the word came that there was now food back in Bethlehem, that there was a harvest coming. And so she decided she would go back home. But she said to her two daughter-in-laws who were Moabites, she says, look, you stay here. There's no point in you coming back with me because I'm older now. And even if I get married, and even if I did have more children, if I had more sons, sure you couldn't wait until they were growing up to my age. So now you stay here. Please, you just stay here. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and she stayed. But Ruth says, no, I'm going with you. I'm sticking with you. I'm going to be there through thick and thin. Your God's going to be my God. And even if you die there, that's where I'll die and that's where I'll be buried. And so here's the two of them coming back. Naomi and Ruth. Poor as church mice. Didn't have two pennies to rub together. I mean, it's one thing being a widow in Israel if you're an Israelite, but it's quite another thing if you're a Moabite and you're in Israel and you're a widow. I mean, there's not much hope for you. That's just the way that it is. But they come back. And there was a law, according to the law of Moses, that when it came harvest time, that the poor in the land and the stranger in the land, that if they could follow behind the reapers, in any of the fields, they could follow behind the reapers. Whatever grains fell, whatever stocks were left, they, they could have them. They, they could take them and, and make some bread and have some 
dinner that night. That was a provision for the poor and the stranger in the land. And so Naomi was too old to do that, so it was Ruth's job. And so she went out. Now you imagine this. She's a Moabite. Apart from Naomi, she doesn't know anybody, nobody in Bethlehem, not one single person. And she goes out. Now, according to the law, she could choose any field she wanted. And, I mean, they must all look the same to her anyway. She would look over and she would see a harvest here and a harvest there and a harvest there and a harvest there. And she must have thought, well, which one will I pick? I may as well just pick this one. It's as good as any one. I, I don't know. I don't know anybody. So she picked one. But it was no accident. It wasn't just her picking it. It was God's choosing. It was God leading and directing her feet into that particular field because that was the field of the wealthiest, godliest man in Bethlehem. Now, wouldn't you know that's the field that she went into? And so whenever Boaz, who owned the field, whenever he came to greet his reapers, he noticed her. And he says, who, who is this lady here? And they said, do you not know? That's the Moabite. That's Ruth. You know, that's, that's a widow. That's one of Naomi's daughter-in-laws who's a widow like Naomi. And she came back with Naomi. And he was very impressed with that. She's taking care of Naomi. And he says, listen, he says, make sure that you, you let some fall deliberately in her pathway so that she'll get a good, a good harvest today. You make sure that there's any shocks, just skip some and leave them for her. And so that night, she went home that evening with a big lap full of corn. And Naomi was amazed. Where did you get that? How did, that, how did you get that? Oh, she says, I went into a field and it was somebody called Boaz. Oh, she says, Boaz, he's related to my late husband, Elimelech. And so suddenly things took an upturn. And you know the rest of the story, how that Boaz fell in love with Ruth and Ruth fell in love with Boaz and then they got married. But here's the thing. They had a child called Obed. And Obed had a child called Jesse. And then Jesse had a child called David, King David, the greatest king that Israel ever had. And it was Ruth the Moabite. That was her great-grandson. What an honor for that to happen. Project another five or six hundred years later in Matthew chapter 1. In the genealogy of Christ, you'll see Ruth's name mentioned. She's a Gentile, she's a Moabite, and she's mentioned in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's prophetically showing us that Jesus came not just to die for the Jews, but to die for the Gentiles also, to die for the whole world. And what seemed like just an accident, just an unfortunate turn of events from Moab to there, suddenly you see it's in the plan of God. It was no accident. It was engineered by God. She didn't know it, but God knew it, you see. It was no accident that Esther was made a queen in captivity. It was no accident. Now, she must have thought when she was chosen, she must have thought, well, that's a high honor. That's a high honor for the king to choose me. And she must have been happy about that. And she must have thought, well, that, that's fortunate. But actually, Mordecai, he knew more. Her uncle, Mordecai, he says, you were called to the kingdom for such a time as this. God has strategically placed you here to save your people alive. Because Haman, one of the king's men, was plotting to kill all of the Jews in the kingdom. And Mordecai says, you're the one that God has chosen 
to save the nation, your people. And she was. She was the one that God had chosen. God has strategically placed her right there. You see, I believe that God strategically places us in places. May not be to save a nation. May not be as big as that. But he strategically places you in certain places. It may be your office. It may be your factory. You may be the one within your family or on your street, whatever. But you're the one that God has placed there. Maybe to bring salvation. To bring help and to bring deliverance to somebody else. So it was no accident. It was no accident that Hannah was barren for years and years and years. And she desperately wanted a child, desperately. Her husband, Elkanah, he had another wife, Penina, who mocked her, who ridiculed her, who laughed at her, who scorned her. And it was hard for her because Penina was having all the babies. She couldn't have any. But God was in it. It was God who stayed the womb. Because God was waiting and waiting and waiting to a certain time, the priesthood was about to come to an end. They were corrupt. They were evil. They were not doing what God had called them to do. And God was going to raise up prophets in the land. And prophets would confront kings in the land. I I told you before the difference between a priest and a prophet. A priest is one who stands before God on behalf of the people. But a prophet is one who stands before the people on behalf of God. He's God's spokesman to the nation and to the kings. And God was about to change everything. And so she was praying in the temple. And the only night the priest thought she was drunk. And he rebuked her. And she said, I'm not drunk. I'm, I'm sorrowful of heart. My heart is broken. I want a man child. She says, okay, go home. God will grant that. Nine months later, little Samuel was born. And she had promised God, if you give me a man child, I'll raise him up for a little bit and then I'll give him back to you. And she took him to the temple to serve Eli the priest. And little Samuel went to bed that night and he woke up the next day a prophet of God. And he became a great prophet. Not, none of his words fell to the ground. God used him mightily. In fact, he became the one who started the schools of the prophets that Elijah and Elisha carried on from then on. So he was a great, great prophet of God. And so all those years that Hannah had suffered and was ridiculed and was mocked and, and so disappointed and felt God deserted her and why, why is this happening to me? But it was all for a purpose and a reason. And then she could see with her own eyes that God was in the midst of it all. So you've got to believe God's in the mix. Amen. The good, the bad, and the ugly, God is in the mix. He can work all things together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Are you called according to his purpose? If you are, he can make everything work together for your good and for his glory. Hmm. It was no accident that Elizabeth had to wait till she was well advanced in years, the angel said, before she could have a baby. Little John was born, the one who would be raised up to be the forerunner of Christ. (laughs) All those years that she had to wait until the angel came and gave that promise of that little boy to be born. And he was the one who pointed to Christ 
as the Messiah. Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. You see, sometimes when we're disappointed and we feel God is not in it, and where is God in my life? What is happening around me? Why is this happening? Why is that happening? But you've got to trust God. You've got to say, God, you're in the mix. Somewhere in the midst of all of this, Lord, you're doing something. And I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to trust your heart in the midst of all of this. See, there's a due season. There's an appointed time with destiny. God's divine appointments are always on time. Always. We may not see it or feel it or think it, but they are. All we got to do is trust him. That's all he asks. Just trust me, he says. Have faith in me. Believe me. I'm working things for your good. It shows us that God also is in control. It doesn't always feel like it. It doesn't seem like it. Sometimes we just feel we're at the mercy of circumstances, don't we, to be honest. We feel, I'm just at the mercy of circumstances. I, I can do nothing about this. this. I didn't know this was going to happen. I wasn't looking for it. I didn't do anything to make it happen. But this mess, is in, and I'm in right now, I, I, don't know, I don't know what to do. I'm just at the mercy of circumstances. You may feel it in the mercy of other people, but you're not, because God is looking out for you. Amen. And God's plans will not fail. No matter what man has done, no matter what man has done against you, God's plans will not fail. They really won't. You need to know that today. Do you remember Joseph when he was just a young teenage boy and his brothers who despised him, sold him? They were going to kill him, actually. And they changed their mind and they sold him into slavery. Imagine he's in Egypt. He doesn't know anybody in Egypt. He can't speak Egyptian. He's just a young lad. He's, he's away from his family. And there he is, all alone in a foreign country. And there he is in the, in the slave market being sold as a slave. I mean, how awful must that have been for him? How scary and frightening must that have been for a young boy to be in that position? And then Potiphar buys him as his slave, as his servant. But God has favor on him. God favors him. And God raises him up in that household. And he raised, he raised him up to become over the whole household. He was so good at his job. Such an honorable young man. And Potiphar recognized it. But then Potiphar's wife, she took a shine to him. She tried to seduce him several times, but he, he wouldn't have it. And he ran from her. And then she blamed him on molesting her to her husband. And Potiphar, being angry as any husband would be, he threw him into jail. And so here's another turn of events. Now he's in an Egyptian jail. He had never been in trouble with the law ever before. And now he's in a foreign jail. You know, there's programs on TV. Sometimes you'll see a series called Banged Up Abroad. Did you ever see it? Banged Up Abroad? Uh, banged Up's a British slang for being thrown into jail. So they're banged up. And to be thrown in a foreign jail. I, I remember years ago when I was visiting with Claire in the Philippines and uh, Chrissy Perillo, she was working for Chrissy and Dondi at the time. And Chrissy is a fantastic work in prisons. I mean, just, uh, it's unreal what she does in prison. Tremendous. And she took us to Montanlupa, which is just outside Manila. It's a big, big prison. It's got 25,000, 30,000 prisoners. You know, and there's low security, medium security, and high security. And then the high security is death row. 
and it's even separate. It's a big brick building. And I was in there, and she got me to speak to the prisoners. But I remember in medium security, I remember talking to a Pakistani prisoner. And he showed me his cell block. And he says, you know, this was built for about 40 people. I says, man, he's in here. Oh, he says, sometimes there can be 100 people in here. I says, how, how do you manage? He says, well, it's very, very tough. And especially, he says, if you're a foreigner. He says, when I came in here at the start, he says, he says, there was no bed for me. I had to lie on the floor underneath the bed of somebody's bed. That's where I lay. But he says, I got a little cell now. Let me show you a cell. And he took me up a little ladder and showed me his cell, which he had a lock on. He says, it's so tough being a foreigner <coughs> in a foreign prison. And here's Joseph. He's banged up abroad. Things, it seems, couldn't get any worse. <laughs> Terrible events has taken place. But, but God gave him favor with the jailer. And then those two of the Pharaoh's assistants, the butler and the baker, were thrown into prison. And they had dreams and they couldn't interpret the dreams. And Joseph interpreted their dreams. And he said to the baker, he says, when you get out, he says, your head's going to be cut off. You're going to die. But he says, the butler, when you get out, Pharaoh's going to reinstate you back to your position. And he says, when he does, remember me. I'm innocent. Remember me to Pharaoh. I'm an innocent man here. But of course, he forgot all about him, didn't he? Until Pharaoh had that dream that he couldn't interpret. And then the butler says, ah, I remember. There's a Hebrew slave. And he interpreted my dreams. And it came true exactly. Sent for him. And you know the rest of the story, how he interpreted Pharaoh's dream. And it turned out he ended up, Pharaoh made him prime minister, vice regent of all of Egypt. And then his brothers had to come from, from their land to Egypt to get food. And they stood before Joseph, didn't even recognize him, until he revealed himself. And that's when he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And saved not only himself, but saved them and saved that nation that was to be born from them. You see, God is in control. No matter how bad it looks, Jesus is hanging on a cross He's bleeding, he's bruised, he's naked, he's being scorned, he's being mocked. And he's the Messiah. How could the Messiah be dying as a criminal on a Roman cross? It didn't make any sense. Everything has gone wrong. All those disciples, apart from John and his mother and a few women, the rest of them had all fled for their lives, left him at his most awful moment in life. And it was horrible, it was awful what was happening to him on that cross. How could God be in this? Surely God could not be in this, but he was. God was in. In fact, he was fulfilling everything God said would happen. On that cross, every single scripture that was ever written about it, that he was fulfilling every single one of them. And the Bible says in Isaiah 53 that God did this. That God did this. God allowed this to happen to him for our sakes. Amen. For our sakes. All of it was in the plan of God. Read Isaiah 53. It becomes so clear and plain. It looked a mess. It looked all hope was gone. It looked a disaster. Even Jesus on the cross cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's how bad things were in the natural. But behind the scenes, God was moving. God was working every detail out. And he fulfilled every scripture on that cross that needed to be fulfilled. 
And so God is in control of your life. But you see, when things go wrong, when things turn sour, when things go bad, do we really believe it? It's easy believing it when everything's okay, isn't it? But when things take a turn for the worse and everything seems to go wrong, do we still believe that God is in control? That God can turn good out of bad? No matter what man has done to us or what men are doing, that God can turn things around for our good and for his glory? That all things do work together for good to those that love God? Do we really believe that? Because that's when the test comes, isn't it? It's not when everything's going well. Anybody can believe when things is going well. It's when things are not going well that we have to put our trust and faith in him. And so we can trust God completely with our lives. Completely. Jeremiah said he wants to give you hope and a future. Do we trust him completely? Jeremiah, Isaiah, and the psalmist all believed, all of them, all believed that Almighty God had a plan for their lives even before they were born. Even before they were born, before they breathed their first breath, God had already a plan and place for their life. The Apostle Paul believed that. You know, in Galatians 1.15, he says, God separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. When I was a five-year-old boy sitting on my mother's knee at a cottage meeting, and a man with a great prophetic ministry at that time, he's in the glory now, he stopped the meeting and he pointed to my mother. He says, your son is going to preach the gospel. He's going to preach the gospel. He's going to be a preacher. My mother never told me that until I came into ministry. She kept these things, pondered them in her heart. She never told me once until I came into ministry. And then one day she told me. She says, you know, you're doing what God had planned for you to do. Now that gave me great confidence. And I've still, sometimes I have to say to myself, David, whenever I'm feeling low or feeling under pressure or feeling stressed or whatever, I have to say, David, you're doing what God called you to do. You're doing what he wants you to do. And that suddenly gives me the strength and the confidence to keep on going on and to do what I'm supposed to do. And Jeremiah 1, Isaiah 49, Psalm 139, all of those scriptures, all of them said, God has called me even from my mother's womb. Even before I was born, God already had a plan for me. And God's got a plan for you too. He really has. Psalm 139 in the Living Bible. Let me just read this and this paraphrase the Living Bible. Psalm 139, verse 13 to 18. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit them together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. It's amazing to think about. Your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know it. You were there when I was being formed in utter seclusion. You saw me before I was born and scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe. Every day was recorded in your book. See, that takes care of my past. God knew everything about it before I was even be born. And then he says, How precious is it, Lord, to realize that you were thinking about me constantly. I can't even count how many times a day your thoughts turn towards me. That takes care of my present. 
every single day God's thoughts are turned towards you. If you feel God's a million miles away today, be assured he isn't. He's thinking his thoughts towards you right now. He's got his plans made. He knows exactly what to do. He knows how to do it. He's just got to trust him for your present and your past. Then he says, when I awaken in the morning, you're still thinking of me. That takes care of my future. (laughs) My future's taken care of. I don't know it. Listen, this is Sunday. This is the Lord's Day. I don't know tomorrow what's going to happen. I don't know. And you don't know either. And maybe you have made, and maybe I've made some plans for tomorrow. We don't know. We're not in control of that. God's in control of that. All I need to know is God knows my tomorrows. And so nothing's going to surprise him tomorrow. If the enemy of your soul comes against you full blast tomorrow, it won't surprise God. He already knows, and he knows how to take care of that. He knows how to deal with that. So that gives me great confidence. That gives me hope. I can go to bed tonight, and if I wake up tomorrow, there's no guarantees on him, but if I go to bed tonight, I wake up tomorrow, God's already there. He's been waiting on me, opening my eyes. He's already in my tomorrow. He's waiting for me coming there. And for you too, and every single day from here on out. What have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms. (laughs) Leaning, leaning, leaning. Safe and secure from all alarm. We're leaning on the everlasting arms. Aren't we believers? Isn't it wonderful to think that God's ways, they're not our ways. They're his ways. And we have just got to learn just to fall into line with his ways. Just keep following him every day the best you know how and then be confident and be restful and be assured that he is going to take care of every tomorrow that's coming to you. He's really got a plan for it. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you plan so well and so good for us. We could never make up our lives, but you made it up. You had the blueprint. You had the plan. So help us now to trust you every day that you will take care of every tomorrow. Let us not be afraid or worried or anxious, but to rest knowing that it's all in your control. Lord, you know the end from the beginning. You know it all. So we look to you today. We put our faith and our confidence and our assurance, not in ourselves, but in you today, that you will take care of each and every one of us for your honor and your glory and for our good. We thank you, Lord, even the very hairs of our head you've numbered today. You know exactly how many we've got. You see every spiral that falls. So, Lord, we're confident today. We're trusting in you and believing for our tomorrows that you will meet us there, that we wake up in the morning. You will be right there. We give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen.